use, and it came out very simply, cut the check. No, we don't want your books. No, we don't want more scholarships. No, we don't want more sloganism or tokenism. Cut the check. That is reparations. Cut the check. And we have remained relentless about this. We have let people know that this generation is not interested in tokenism, getting the pat on the back from anybody. We are measuring our success and our power in this world economically because they hate us because we are black, but they're able to victimize us because we're poor. And so long as we remain impoverished, you're easier targets. So we have been focused like a laser beam uncompromisingly, relentlessly on the economics. And Barack Obama thought he was going to change that. They thought they could use him to change that. And that just fell flat in his face. So now, after all these years of all these people here, remember Luther Campbell on his Twitter page? Well, you know, I mean, it's not that many folks interested in reparations. They're really interested in uh, unemployment in Florida. They're interested in uh, housing. On everything they were complaining about comes back to economics. But you notice that the conversation is markedly different with other people. When they're talking to other people, the conversation is dramatically different when they talk to them. When they talk to them, they don't say the same stuff to them that they say to us. They don't go to them to talk about the things with them that they talk about with us. They come to talk about, come to talk to us. They want to talk about hope. And you know, we we got your back, buddy. We have your back, you know, and we're, we're right there with you. We're, we're in the middle of the struggle with you there. And they go to talk to these other folks. They don't talk to them about hope and struggle. They don't talk to them about that. They talk to them about something else. Because those folks are like, look here, we ain't even start a conversation with you. Don't come up here dancing no jig and talk about you support, you know, Cesar Chavez. We ain't trying to have it. Do you support me? That's what I'm trying to find out. So I want to go ahead and give you a little bit of that right here. Boy, I'm telling you, man, they have been on a buffer class attack screen right now. They've been on one. First of all, we can come back to her and her husband. This dovetails nicely. Her and her husband. It dovetails nicely. But they have been on a crime spree. They have been on a crime spree. Starting back here, right before Thanksgiving, they were sitting up here and Oh, we're going to we have a lot to say here. We're going to talk about business. We're going to talk about folks here. Are you are you already? You want to know what they were thankful for? They were thankful to help out everybody else except us. Kamala Harris, the last two years were the greatest years for new small business applications. Applications on record on small business Saturday and throughout the holidays. Be sure to shop local and support the backbone of our communities when our small business owners succeed. Then you go take a look at that. She's like, if I have to talk about this, this will be what it is. 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 And then finally we throw some tokenism in there. Ooh, can we go buy some music? 
Then you see she kind of keeps going. She kind of keeps going. November 26th, it was wonderful to visit Venice Bakery and Restaurant on Small Business Saturday as we honor the work that small business owners and employees are doing across the nation to grow our economy and support our communities. When we invest in small business, we invest in America. Meanwhile, they are giving billions of dollars to semi-chip conductor companies that outsourced 30, 40 years ago, and now they're paying them billions to come back over here. Small business, we're going to give you a pat on the back. And the issue is not small business. The issue is about black business. By the way, her and her husband, her husband very concerned about Jewish issues. Her husband very concerned about Jewish issues here. Don't, black folk don't, he just wanted to dance a jig. All right. Because Americans voted for Joe Biden and me in 2020, we capped the cost of insulin. Keep that in mind. Keep this in mind. We're going to come back to it. Keep this in mind. The reason I come up with this is because on Twitter, on the folk here, I follow up here on Twitter, uh, Nas Escobar. He's a good person for you to keep an eye on there as well. He had posted about this about this picture right here. Now, remember, Kamala Harris has two accounts, one for vice president and one for herself. She's got two accounts on Twitter. And this is the thing right here that really got folks' attention. As you can see, it got a lot of views. That's the thing that really got folks' attention. Kamala Harris is sitting here, and she would like to talk to you about minority-owned business. And she's standing amongst a bunch of Asians, and there's nothing wrong with being Asian, but I thought she was supposed to be our first black vice president. I thought that's what that was supposed to be, remember? So she wanted to make sure she was front and center to let them know who she's really here for. So when she says minority, that's what she means. Too many minority-owned small businesses have been left out of getting federal contracts. They have been left out they have been pushed out and kept out, not left out. And left out by Joe Biden, by the way. Mr. Segregationist himself. Joe Biden and I have committed to increasing federal contracting by 50% for minority and underserved businesses. And we're on track to do that. Minority means white women, which means white men using their wives and girlfriends as their front. This means nothing for black people. As a matter of fact, this is a negative for black people. An absolute negative. And when you take a look at her vice presidential account, it knows the same thing. But you also notice that it goes back here about the same time. So I'm at the armed forces, November 23rd for Thanksgiving. They're talking about that. Native American Heritage Day, November 24th. And then November 25th, Small Business Saturday. She thinks that posing with this fella here is supposed to keep us off her backside. Meanwhile, you take a look at where her efforts were. You saw one picture with a black dude, just one. But then you take a look at wherever else she is. Doug and I enjoy celebrating Small Business Saturday by visiting family and Latino-owned Venice Bakery and Restaurant. Thank you, Edith Orlando and their entire team for the warm welcome and delicious uh, shalakwis. 
And you see, by visiting family and Latino owned. Yes, sir. I don't know why we're discussing this is a bumper class issue because this is a dog whistle. This is a dog whistle. This is just a straight up shout out that they feed. They know that they're losing the black vote. They know that they can't count on the black vote. So now they're trying to do everything else because getting the black vote now means making specific promises and specific guarantees. And what they're telling you now is that we are dedicated to doing nothing specifically for you. So let's go see if we can go ahead and rally support with the non-black folk. Let's see if we can do that instead. Let's see if we can do that. We're going to see if we can get them together. By the way, here's your minority coalition. That minority coalition that Al Sharpton and the Congressional Black Caucus and the NAACP and all been talking about for decades. By the way, I found your minority coalition. We have found your minority coalition. That's the real point I want you all to understand. We found that minority coalition that everyone's been talking about and discussing and that we have spent the better part of the last decade shooting down to ashes. Now you can see why Minority Coalition is a con and a scam. If you all agree, give me the fire emoji in the chat room and hit the likes button for me. There's over 3,000 people in here live in just the first 12 minutes. I want everyone to understand that we are all on code about this, that we see this clearly for what it is, and it's exactly what we expected when we told everybody here, going on for years, that Kamala Harris's job and Joe Biden's strategy was to tell us to just sit still while they gather together everybody else to outnumber us politically, and then they'll ultimately say, oh, well, we can't do anything for you now because, well, it's not white folk who outnumber you anymore. Minorities outnumber you, and they don't back reparations or anything for you either. Well, you brought all of them in and you helped them to leapfrog us. Well, you know, bygones be bygones. Boom, boom, no matter who. So what sabotage they were doing was we called out for what it is early. See, we didn't wait another 10, 15 years before we called out. We're calling it out now. It's like, hell, this is hella inconvenient to have so many black folk on code about this kind of thing and calling out for what it is. This is a bad look. This is a bad look. This is a terrible look. On the vice presidential page, she understands that folks are talking about business. She didn't want to go on about that. Now, she went on here about um, on the 26th. She's back to talking about the Middle East, but then showing video from Venice Bakery and Restaurant. And let's be very, very clear. I'm sure they run a fine business. I'm sure they make great food or whatever. At least I certainly hope they do. She said it was good, but she's been hanging out with Doug all these years, so there's no real telling how good not good they be. But that's perfectly fine. Do your thing. Y'all go ahead and do whatever you're doing out there business-wise. Nobody's hating on that. That's perfectly fine. Here's the issue. The issue is the black vote is what put those people where they are. And you sitting up here saying, that, well, don't worry. The black vote is a given. So let's take care of everybody else except black vote because black people are here to disturb and disrupt and destroy the status quo. So we're going to boost everybody else over them. And black folk are going to help you do it? Uh, not any damn more. Not any damn more. 
We are not going to help you and aid and abet in you protecting and promoting everybody else's interest. But we got to sit here and stomp the streets for you walking the door, handing to everyone else. Oh, and you're still going to be our support? I should think not. I think not. So she's trying to do the best she can across the damn board here. She's hanging out with folk. Uh, Rosalind Carter died. Uh, she's going more places here in Dubai. Maybe you don't want to bring that up. You want to talk clean energy. Now, oh, we make investments in clean energy. Yeah, that's great. That's wonderful. Arriving in Dubai. Okay, hope she ain't getting the OnlyFans popping. Then you go back to her personal page. She wants to talk about that some more. Have a cup of Joe with Joe and me. Ma'am, maximum cringe. <laughs> maximum cringe. We're going to do more work for everybody else. Oh, look, clean energy. Across the country, we're seeing a full-on attack against hard-won freedoms, such as the freedom to access the ballot box. Why? So we can vote for you. The freedom to make decisions about your own body. The freedom to be safe from gun violence. Does that include the police? Can't tell. Oh, look, we're going to talk about guns now. Now she wants to talk about guns. Found all that to be very interesting there. Found all that to be very interesting because when you have a situation like this where all of a sudden they jump up and start saying things like that, that means something. This thing here they're talking about these issues here because Americans voted for me and Joe. We capped the cost of insulin at $35 a month for seniors, approved $127 billion in student loan forgiveness, passed the first meaningful gun safety legislation in nearly 30 years. Let's finish the job. Don't you mean finish us off? Don't you mean that? Don't you mean finish us off? The reason why I bring this up is because she was mentioning here before, one of these tweets that she had put out, she was mentioning before about how uh, she was giving off the list of things they were happy about or whatever, and talked about how, well, this helps black people by lowering the cost of insulin. That, that, that helps black people, doesn't it? Doesn't it do something for black people? And we're talking about small business. And that helps black folk if you do that. That's how they talk about us. They talk about us in those terms. And, oh, we're helping small business and we're helping everyone because, well, you know, if we're, if we're lowering prices for insulin, doesn't that, doesn't that help black folk too, doesn't it? The conversation is radically different today than it was before. This isn't the same conversation they were having before. Can you imagine? Boy, I'm telling you, don't want to criticize somebody's culinary skill, but I can, is it, is it just me or can you all smell the mayo? I bet you this is the most bland. I bet you it's bland, gluten-free, Carb-free. I bet it's the most carb-free pasta you could ever imagine, or carb-free as you can possibly think of. I just have a feeling about that. So they finally found the ability to talk about small business for an extended period of time. They finally found the ability to talk about that, but eh, we don't want to talk about that where black folk are concerned. We don't want to talk about that where black folk are concerned. And this back to politics as usual, hoping that we're not paying any attention. 
Well, ma'am, you are highly mistaken. We took, we paid big attention to this. We paid huge attention to this. We paid huge attention to things like this. Because you see, the problem is you're supposed to have a portfolio of pictures like that with black folk. You see, when she comes to the HBCUs, they don't come discussing economics. They don't come to the HBCUs. They don't come to the black neighborhood talking like this. The one or two times might show up. They'll sit up here and show up at the NAACP, and they're not talking like this. Understand something. The Latinos didn't have to get together some civic organization to get them to come to them out the gate talking about business. They didn't have to rally them. They didn't have to rally them. They didn't have to get together in large numbers. They came to the door and said, hey, let's talk business. Let's talk this economics. They came in the door doing that with us. They don't come in the door talking like that. It's like, okay, well, what can we do to discuss the 50th anniversary of hip hop? Can we do that? Oh, let's talk about Juneteenth. Man, damn your symbolism. You're already, this is the height of insult. You're showing that you know what the issue is. You know what we're focused on. You know what we're agitated by. You know what you're supposed to be saying. And what you're saying is we made a conscious effort. We are going to boost everybody except you. So what this means is Kamala Harris and Joe Biden are targeting us. And they are targeting black people and using these other folks to target us. Well, this will destabilize and neutralize you. And yeah, that's what we're doing there. So yeah, the resource is going out, but we're going to make sure it doesn't go to you. We're going to boost everybody else. And then by the, not, now you'll not just be behind white folk. You'll be behind white folk, Asians, Latinos, hell, Native Americans, Middle Easterners. Well, you'll be behind everybody. We can get you up under all of them. So before, you just had to fight the dominant society. Now we're just going to bury you in these other folks. Now we'll just bury you under them. And that'll work. We'll just bury you under all of them. The problem is we're actually watching this time. The problem is the conversations are radically different. The problem is when you do something this ham-fisted and heavy-handed, you can't really afford to have all eyes on you. Not when you're committing a crime like this. Baby, you need to be able to sneak through and there's not a whole lot of folk watching you. You can't afford to have it be this blatant. You can't afford for it to be this damn blatant, what you're doing. You can't afford that. You can't afford to have it where everybody's watching and everybody sees you doing this. Not when you got all eyes on you. You see, coming up, going into 2024, baby, you're coming down the home stretch. You're coming down the home stretch. And what, you're, what you are conceding is that, as I have said from the beginning, they are not going to do anything. What they're doing now, what they're conceding is that the stories we've been posting here all this time about Biden losing the black vote, 
the stories we've been making the whole time about that, what they're saying is they are conceding. Yes, we understand what it is. Yes, we understand that we're in hella deep trouble. Can we figure out a way to get this done without doing anything for you? No? Well, hurry up and fight as hard as you can to boost these other folks over black folk here. And even if Biden loses, hopefully these will be seeds that we're planting and within eight or ten years, well, we won't have to worry about that anymore. Don't you all fool yourselves. Biden, they would just as soon make him a sacrificial lamb and a suicide bomber if it's necessary. It's like, okay, we're going to have to sacrifice you, but we got to think about the future here. We got to think about the future. So we need to make sure we set the, set the table up correctly to make sure that these black folk are neutralized because they're the only group that if they get sufficient resources, it completely disrupts the status quo. These other folks are not looking to overturn the white supremacist system. They are merely looking to improve their position within it. That's the difference. They are not looking to stop white supremacy, to break it, to crush it in its tracks. They're just looking to improve the cut that they get. That's what they're looking for. They're looking to improve their cut. They're looking to improve what they would get. They're looking to improve their slice. But they're not looking to destroy the white supremacist bakery, if you will. That's not what they're looking to do. So, of course, she is going to sit here and say, oh, this is a great idea. Yeah, because they're looking to lend their strength to the system, not to fundamentally change it. They're not looking to fundamentally change it. I want to tell you all about something. I want to ask you all about something right now. Think about this for a few moments. Now, you talk about your primarily white institutions when you come to colleges, PWIs, primarily white, majority white institutions. You got that. You got your PWIs, and then you have your HBCUs. All right. Other than Brandeis, do you have a Jewish university? And even still, does Brandeis survive just on Jewish students? So think about this for a few moments. You don't have a historically Latino institution. You don't have a historically Latino college. You don't have that. And do you notice they're not fighting for one either? I want you all to understand the logic in, in, in the... Uh, the, the rationale and the methodology behind this for a moment. Nobody's ever explained this to you before. Let me explain it to you now. Do you notice you don't have a historically Latino college and university? Notice you don't have that? You know what else you don't have? You also don't have a historically Asian university. Or institutions. Did you notice that? You don't have an historically Asian university or institution. There are no HACUs. There are no HLCUs. They're not trying to build Asian institutions. They are in trying to improve their position 
within the structure. Oh, yeah, a lot of y'all are learning a bunch tonight. Just that one thing right there. You never thought about that for a few moments. Yeah, wrap your heads around that. Tell me, what are the historic, historically Latino colleges, universities, historically Asian, historically Middle Eastern? Show me where they are. You can't. They're not, and they're not trying to build one. For all the folks who talk about systemic racism and how everybody else has been affected just like us, if they were affected just like us, why is it they didn't take the uh, alternate route that we did? Why didn't they set up in, independent institutions like we did? Why is it they didn't have to do that? They didn't do it because they didn't have to do it. They didn't do it because they didn't have to do it. We had to do it. They never had to do it. And that's why they never had to do it, and they're not trying to do it now. Oh, I hope y'all are picking up what I'm putting down tonight, because a bunch of you just learned something, and a bunch of light bulbs just went off. No, you don't have a bunch of Latino colleges. You don't, but you have a bunch of Latino students at white schools. That's what you have. But you don't have these places that are bastions and strongholds of Latino culture and that were founded specifically for that and on that. You don't have it. It doesn't exist. We're the only ones that have an independent ideology. When you watch a different world, when you hear African-American studies, even though that's kind of a diluted thing, that's still different. That's still different. These other folks here are trying to figure out how to improve. Basically, their whole job is to integrate themselves into these white institutions so that they can be at the top of the game within a white system. So, yeah, it doesn't hurt you at all to elevate them. It doesn't hurt you at all to raise them. They're not trying to change or destroy, much less obliterate and erase the status quo. They just want to get in good so they can help maintain it and show you that they can run the white supremacist culture better than the Caucasians can. Do you think that that offends them? Folks, think about that for a few moments. That, that's why it doesn't offend them. The only argument they have is the same one they always have had. For those of you who watched my documentary, Race War, you had uh, Richard Spencer and Jared Taylor at loggerheads with each other. Why? Both of them want the same goal, don't they? Yeah, but they disagree about how to accomplish it. They both want the same thing. The only argument they're having is, hey, I actually have the better plan. No, you don't. I do. No, you don't. I do. That's the only fight that's going on. All of them want the same damn thing. And so they get to say, hey, we can, we can run this white supremacist system better than you can. We can do it better than you. Yeah, that's the only problem. I mean, look, you can get the job done, but you Caucasians, you Anglos are doing it wrong. You Anglos are doing it wrong. Move aside, us white Latinos can get this done better. No, 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 you move aside. Us Asians can get this done better. No, 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 you move aside. Us East Indians can get it done better. No, 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 you move aside. Us Middle Easterners can get it done better. That's the fight, the only fight that's going on now. That's why after a very short amount of time, you see them all show up on Fox News or show up the Supreme Court targeting us with Ed Blum. 
I'm bringing you your systemic evidence and proof. I'm not giving you conjecture. That's why you can't argue what I just said. Show me where they have their own institutions. They don't have them. They're not trying to make them because they don't need them. Their identity is all encompassed in how well they are able to integrate themselves in and progress through the white supremacist structure. So Joe Biden has no problem whatsoever elevating these other people over us, giving them the leg up. He has no problem with that because ultimately they're not trying to bring it down. They know full damn well we only want reparations for one reason, one reason only, because the greatest atrocity in human history that has been committed is the obliteration of competition and meritocracy. The world has been transformed into some mutated white supremacist playground where they don't have to compete, where they get generational tons of unearned benefits and that they did not compete for, did not earn, and then try to gaslight and deceive the rest of the world to believe that they're the only ones who worked and earned anything, when in reality they're the only ones who didn't work and earn anything. And they know that the only reason we want reparations is so that we can destroy this system of unearned benefits and restore a system of meritocracy, although you may refer to it as justice. We have never been afraid of a level playing field. We never had laws set up to make sure we didn't have a level playing field. The rest of these folks, all of them, have needed an unlevel playing field. Let me tell you something. You could never have Africans, I'm going to say Africans, I'm going to, we'll never go back. We will never go back. People, do you all realize that we came up with recipes on the plantations that have remained essentially unchanged to this day, that is even in an era of GMOs and monosodium glutamate all down the damn line. What we put together in the killing fields has remained basically unchanged. You talk about your natural food restaurants and whatnot and your organic restaurants. Maybe that's all we don't have in. We can take it straight out the gardens. Many of us who are from the South watched our grandmothers grow stuff in the gardens in the backyards. That's the way it's always been. We have no problem doing that. Straight from the garden right to the plate. We can do that. It is great. It always has been. This idea of agribusiness giving you something better, we've never trusted that. We've always known that's not what it is. What we put together is what you're still using. And understand something. That to this day, you talking about KFC and its original recipe? Yeah, you're very welcome. Jack Daniels and their original recipe that they have to file lawsuits against folk over? Yeah, you damn right. You damn right. Over a century later, once we do it, that's it. You can't take nothing from it, can't add nothing to it. People, this is not me talking. You go ask KFC if they're going to add something to it or take something from it. The formula you got today, the formula you've had now for half a century, that's the formula you're going to have a century from now. You can't add nothing to it, can't take nothing from it. The only thing you can do is screw it up and mess it up. That's all you can do.
but you can't change it. I don't drink, but let me tell you something. Jack Daniels don't sell what it does because folks don't like what they got. Jack Daniels doesn't sell what it does because folks don't like what they got. It sells what it does because they love what they got. Well, guess what? You can't change that formula either. Ain't Jemima? We can go down the damn list. You can't really mess with the formula. They'll mess with them. You told me I was there. You get the idea. Anything we make now, you can't really mess with it. You can't really mess with it. That's why they sit up here wringing their hands about the damn biscuits. They're obsessing about the damn biscuits. Yeah, that's that popcorn shrimp. Which, for those of us from Louisiana, is a damn joking insult, by the way. If you really know something, for those of us from Louisiana, popcorn shrimp is really a joking insult, but uh, the rest of y'all like it, and I can see those out. But that's why they obsess over that garbage. Yeah, because you can't mess with the stuff we brought you. That's it. That's the stable. That's what the franchises are built on. The rest of that, man, you know, and you better be glad that we never did really hop on that hamburger thing. You better be glad we never really hopped on that. There's some places here and there you might find. You better be glad that we was we were doing chicken, not hamburgers. We did the hamburger thing. Okay. McDonald's would be McBrothers. So this is why <laughs> they want to make sure that these other folks get a leg up. They're terrified for the future. And they should be. And they should be. They're terrified for the future, and they should be. But just understand, as I always end my program with, the future is uncompromising. And you can try your best to stall it if you want to here, but man, that's not going to work out the way you tell yourselves. So folks... These politicians are not dumb. They're not stupid. You don't need a committee. You don't need to write a letter campaign. They got the message. They know. They understand. What they're saying is, yeah, we know what you want, and we are openly working and fighting against you. And you all know the mantra, no tangibles, no vote, period. And to show this level of blatant disrespect, I only got one thing to say to that. This is this is good. Folks, I love it when they just take the sheets off and go ahead and just put the brass knuckles on and just show their true colors. That's what I'm looking for. You can't lie anymore. You can't feign ignorance anymore. You can't play dumb anymore. You can't do any of that anymore. That's This is exactly where we want you to be, where you just got to come straight up the middle and just start showing what you really are, including you. Come on with it, baby. Now you just got to show what you really are, and you just got to be who you really are. You've been trying to hide and camouflage it all this time, but now you just got to come out with it. And that's exactly what the hell we've been waiting for. Because we're not afraid of competing against that either. Not at all. We're going to go ahead and take a very brief commercial, non-commercial break. When we come back, we'll take your phone calls. Before we do, I want to thank everyone who's contributed to support tonight's program on PayPal, Cash App, Super Chat, Venmo. To my man, Keith, thank you very much for your support. I appreciate that. B1 Media is a lifesaver as well. Thank you very much. And Andrew L., 
We're going to go ahead and take a very brief commercial on commercial break. Also, one more thing. Remember, um, our cash app has been disabled. The one for the black channel has been disabled. But my other cash app is still working. So for those of you trying to use cash app, it's uh, they suspended the account for bogus reasons. You can take a look at the community tab here on YouTube and see the message they sent me for it. But the link to our other cash app is in the description of the video here. So the one for the business broadcast, you can use that when they're using cash app until we get this little situation straightened out. We're going to take a very brief commercial on commercial break. When we come back, we'll be doing your phone calls and more. This is the Black Channel. Hello, my name is Steve Rogers. I'm the author of this book, Guidelines for Successful Student, Those Who Look at Parenting and School Based. In this book, I've explained the role of the parent and the student in addition to what accommodations, procedures, rewards, and consequences, and expectations that need to be in place to ensure student success from primary to high school. This book is available on Amazon.com. For more information, please visit my link tree at Easy One. And to access my latest podcast, The Teaching Moment, a white supremacist assassin seeks revenge. Corrupt FBI agents with evil intentions. Dangerous black collaborators dedicated to treason. Occam Jeffers must defeat them all and somehow survive. One misstep and he's a dead man. Join Occam Jeffers as he looks the devil in his blue eyes and tells him, Black first. A sequel to the underground hit, War of the Heart, Spirit of 1811 presents God Loves on sale at Amazon. Pre-order and save today. Visit spiritof1811publishing.com and show your love. For yours today, to experience all of the benefits of Ash Kicking Natural Body Club, with skin so smooth and soft, with thanks Shot Ash Kicking Body Hi, this is Brenda Starr, creator of Poetry with a Purpose and author of the book, Press But Not Crush. Press But Not Crush is an anthology of political poems that address current and historical issues in American descendants of slave population and African-American population. The book describes slavery and its residuals, Jim Crow segregation, social depredation, and other relevant issues to American descendants of slaves and African-Americans, including the current that does not address our issues. This is the Black Channel. I am your host, your brother, your humble servant, the Black Authority. Very glad to be with you all here this evening. And the telephone lines are now open. The number is 646-787-1933. That's 646-787-1933. Your personal access code. Blackest radio program in existence, the only one of its kind on planet Earth today. As always, you're welcome to join us on the nice program. Here we are discussing Biden and Harris and the anti-black buffer class <laughs> business strategy. Small business Saturday for them was non-black business Saturday. So in election year, they finally didn't, they didn't go to the Latinos 
talk about, oh, can you give us a good recipe? They can't even talk business. They can't even talk economics. <laughs> All the things that they avoid and refuse to discuss when they come talk to us for the last three, four decades. All of a sudden, you hear out these other folks, they're not playing dumb anymore. They come out of the gap. All of a sudden, they're, they got some sense when they talk to them. So, yeah, going forward, folks, put everything else on the back burner. Don't talk to us about insulin. Don't talk to us about scholarships. Don't talk to us about student loans. Cut the check. Cut the check. Let's go ahead and get to the telephone lines here. Caller from area code 415. You're on live with the Black Channel. What's your name? Where are you calling from? It's Denise in San Francisco. All right, Denise in San Francisco, what's on your mind? I was going to say, this coalition of uh, non-black people that the fight and that woman's trying to put together, it's not going to work. Here in San Francisco, I'm around a diverse group of people all the time. And if you want to see a very selfish, confused, self-destructive people of color, all you got to do is come to San Francisco. They just got fresh off the boat. They may have been here maybe 50 years at longest. And they think they know everything about the system, and they're going to try to take everybody around them to get their petty, penny, any kills and stuff, but they can't get their own homeland. And never mind the destructive, long-term effect of what they're trying to get and cheat. And they're not going to be too sweet about voting for Biden that woman because um, they only vote for the highest bidder at the time. What have you done for me lately? What have you done for me right now? Oh, you did just in the past? Well, that don't matter. I'm on this now. You're not providing I'm never sure. That's their nature. Very true. Thank you very much for giving us a call tonight. Let me get call from Erica 469. You're on live with Black Channel. What's your name? Where are you calling from? This Thomas calling from Dallas, Texas. Thomas from Dallas, what's on your mind? Yeah, Jake, I have to, have to recommend you and, and, and also the uh, new black media. And being on code, being on code with each other, and when people have been listening to the new black media, uh, checking out the, the black community in, in Chicago, man, they've been talking like the new black media. So that makes you know right there that we've been uh, knocking down doors, and the Democratic Party is not going to be able to run game on, on, on a lot of black people anymore. Because, like you said, this is good. When I'm back against the wall, and when we uh, fight more, we come out fighting more better. When I'm back against the wall, and we're not just asleep anymore and, and that's what they thought we were going to sleep so we definitely man we like me you and all the other people that look like you have been, have been doing your job and, and and just keep up the good work man because it has it's been working and it's definitely working the black people ain't sleeping no more we're going to keep on moving forward d1 d1 brother thank you bro everyone's calling now let me get caller from the area code three two three you're on live with black channel what's your name when you call it Hey, good evening, Big Brother Jesus. This is Brother Elijah calling out of Brooklyn, New York. Brother Elijah, what's on your mind? Jason, um, I'm not switching off um, the um, topic, but my um, question is going to just just please um, follow the question, my big brother. Uh, over a year ago, with tonight's topic, over a year ago, I was listening to your Twitter space, and a brother asked you um, about reparations. And um, he was talking about the dollar goes down, and you answered him in a way saying the answer might be no. With that being said, big brother, 
with the way um, they're flooding in uh, immigrants, would there be a situation where it just might be where a lot of us FBAs would be completely asked out and will just be completely um, not physically wiped off, but definitely um, financially wiped off? Well, black folk already financially wiped out, so what's the worst we're looking for? Well, what I I meant by that is, um, okay, we're financially wiped out, but to the point where you're going to see a mass of us, instead of us still being in housing, basically, we're going to be a mass of us going to be in the street. I'm not saying us individuals here, but I'm saying... It's just going to be dog powers full of us in the street like that. That's well, certainly you've already got that in all the areas now. But I think what you're looking yes, at is, I mean, uh, here's the thing. The more blatant it gets, the more acute things get. Eventually, it gets so hard that folks can't afford to ignore you. So, like I said, that's why I said we feel like Trayvon Martin. I was like, I don't know what it was about that in particular that hit people in a way that Sean Bell and Amin Diallo and all the others didn't. I don't know why that one was yes, too sir. sort of differently, but I'm like, I don't know why it happened, but I know it did. So there was before Trayvon and then it was after. Uh, it wasn't like the threat was yes, before. Sir. So uh, once you start getting too blatant with it and it's in folks' faces and they can't ignore it, then they start they start taking their energy. It's like, yeah, you know what? Turn off that TV for a little bit. Let me go deal with this a little bit. That's what you want to try to avoid if you're an oppressor. And that's what's happening right now is that folks' attention is turned this and has left. So in the event that things get more acute, in the event that things get more dire, that really only plays to our advantage. We don't need black folk having distractions. Yeah, we need it to be in your face all the time. We need it to be, we need to, I've always said the dial for the suffering needs to be turned up. Because that's the only way you can guarantee that people will not let their attention wander off somewhere else. We've demonstrated on too many occasions that we'll allow ourselves to be distracted and wander our attention off. Want to prevent that? Then the threat got to be at your front door, banging there, sitting on the couch, eating potato chips, kicking your kids in the head. That's what it's going to have to be. So, no, what you just said to me, that doesn't, that does, of course, I don't want it. But by the same token, yes, that doesn't bother me to the extent you might think it does because I know that most folks are interested in being lulled back to sleep. And the only thing that prevents them from getting yes, lulled sir. back to sleep is the enemy at the gates, kicking you out the house, taking your car, kicking your shoes, knocking your kids in the head. Then it's ever present and you can't afford to ignore it. Yes, sir. Big one, big brother. Excellent, bro. Thank you very much for this call tonight. Let me get caller code 725. You're on live black channel. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Hello, this is uh Sean from Vegas. Uh I'm Vegas was on your mind. Say, yeah, I'm gonna say this, sir. Listen, no disrespect, you're going way off like you're tearing them up. We love you, we appreciate you. We in Vegas, we rock with you. You know what I'm saying? Other, uh, the other thing I just want to say real quick, we already apartheid state. They talk about that Palestine and anything else that's going on. This is us right here. And keep doing what you do, sir. And I mean, you are an encouragement and an influence 
and it benefits to our people. And we love you, sir. Thank you. Let's give us a call. We get caller from area code 904. You're on live. Black Channel, what's your name? Where are you calling from? Uh, Sean, Jacksonville, Florida. All right, Sean in Jacksonville was on your line. Yeah, real brief. I just want to, you know, you want to see how uh, Dr. Clark talked about how one time we had the dominant, the dominant community, black where we needed got anything that we want. And we pulled that opportunity. And some people have kicked around the theory that the George Floyd thought right was another opportunity that we blew. And that we should have capitalized on it. That and that we didn't. Is that your opinion? And Not at also, all. Not uh, at all. I, I don't feel that way at all without the George Floyd horizons. No, that's all okay. so I'm I'm not gonna have all. Yeah, they, they make the point that you know we have the whole world, uh, you know, focused on black people, and and, and I don't believe that. Either. I just, but I'm just curious what you thought. And also, my last point, I know they they make a concentrated effort to have Kamala's husband in this lockdown, and you think that's a deliberate strategy? And it is. Wow, what are they trying to accomplish? Well, I mean, certainly um, among you know her constituency, you know. Having Doug there, I guess that's supposed to, they think they're humanizing her. They don't, their biggest fear is Kamala Harris becoming like Hillary Clinton. That's their biggest fear. They're going to wake up one day and Kamala is going to be Hillary Clinton with all the baggage and all the dislike. So they're constantly trying to make sure that she, they're doing their best to make sure she doesn't become Hillary Clinton. Because once you go down that road, you're finished. Um, in reality, she's got a different problem. She's not really Hillary Clinton as much as she is uh, Olivia Pope. That's the problem with Kamala. And so Doug, yeah, you're right. She's not Hillary Clinton. You succeeded in that. You just left her wide open becoming something probably more detestable. So they're planned and they, they fought so hard to avoid that and they didn't see that she's got a bigger a bigger liability. And now here you are. She looks so uncomfortable around black people. I mean, it's really so obvious. Anyway, B1. B1, thank you very much. Just call your night. I mean, look, she's comfortable around black people so long as she's in charge. She's got mulatto disease. Oh, man, am I going to go there? We're going there. She's got mulatto disease. She's got mulatto disease. She's, she, she's comfortable around black people, particularly around black women, as long as she's in charge, as long as she's running them, as long as she's sister girl and she's setting the agenda. You see, she's the... To a lot of our mixed, I don't like to use mixed, but high yellow brothers and sisters, let's just keep it 100% real on the bridge. A lot of y'all are used to getting that faux white approval, and you're used to Negroes kind of sucking up to you as a result. So in other words, you kind of get, get the rub of that not being competitive. You kind of get the rub of that not being competitive. Let's be clear. 
when you when you're relying on being light skinned, when you're not really competing because you were born light skinned, that's not something you gotta earn. So that's why for a lot of these light skinned chicks, and they build is not really quite what it should be. For a lot of them, the build isn't quite what it should be. It's a little uh, tends to be a little bit thrown off, you know. Like you, you can't really name a lot of light skinned chicks where the thickness is balanced. Okay, let me just put it there. Um, don't get me wrong, it's, some of them cool and everything, but where the thickness is balanced and everything's where it's supposed to be, like, you know, like she'll be good up top and she got thick thighs, but she got little short calves. They got that little thing going. Or she'll be good to, from the waist down, she's good, then you get up top here, you know, it's like, okay, was the surgery a success? All in town was going on. Nothing fitting quite right. It was all right. We, we can't, we can't. You talking, you worry about the damn barbecue. You need to be worried about something different. So, like I say, it's just, uh, they, they didn't really have to compete. They don't really have to compete, and they get used to that. So they get these little positions. They get these, you know, when you're the light-skinned girl at the job, and you sit there, Giggling with the white dudes. <laughs> so, and if you join the black civic organizations, they're used to sitting up here making you their front person. So, you out front, just, oh, she got the long hair. That's why I say, as black women, you look dumb as hell, grabbing a little chick, a little light skinned chick, and putting her out front. Just understand that's not accidental. Every single one of them gets the message. They get the message that you put them out front. You see, as the men, that's a different situation. Steph Curry is the dude. Don't get me wrong, Steph. Don't think you're gonna don't think you're gonna run nothing. Do not get it in your head that there's a light skin privilege where you're gonna run it. Don't don't get don't get that twisted. There is no light skin privilege where you're gonna run this. Everything you get, you're gonna earn. Every little penny you get, you're gonna have to earn it. When you get out there in that court, even if the NBA throws you extra money, they they throwing good money after bad because like, eh, we ain't gonna give you any points when you get out here on this on this court. We ain't gonna give you no points. You're gonna have to earn every shot you get. So when you're dealing with the light-skinned chicks, you gotta understand this. Most of them are used to not really having to compete. They're used to folks giving them starry eyes. They're used to being able to count on and thought, what, what you mixed with? Ooh, what are you mixed with? So just imagine in California, Kamala was that chick in L.A. Y'all got to understand what it is. Kamala was that chick in L.A. She got to tell folks not that she was mixed black and white, but that she was mixed black and Asian. I'm, I'm black and Indian. It's like, oh, she is exotic. Think about that, dude. Why do you think niggas were sitting up here? Everybody was lined up for their turn. Oh, I ain't laid up with a half black, half Indian chick before. I ain't never had that. Let me see what that's like. So next thing you know, niggas was literally giving a ticket, standing in the rope line, like getting to the club 9,000. And she used it. You saw she used it. See, here's how you know that Kamala is fake. Because when we started saying what we were saying, she didn't know how to respond to it. Malcolm 
knew how to respond to that. Malcolm X knew how to deal with niggas coming after him for his skin tone, coming after him for his mama, coming after him for his hair tint. Malcolm knew how to deal with that. You see, when you're not protected, when you got to compete, when you got to come up to the soil, you know how to deal with that if anybody questions your credentials. You know how to deal with that. You don't start getting more wobbly and more corny because you know that's the soil ain't going to have it. And you also respect the fact that the soil is going to test you and you're you ready for that. That's why these light-skinned chicks, these biracial chicks and whatnot, that's why they fold like warm laundry in most cases because they're not really real and they're counting on something else. But for the ones who are real, they know what to do when folks test your credentials. They know what to do when folks question you. They know what to do when folks try to pull your whole car. They know what to do when folks say paperwork check. Paperwork check. They know what to do. Kamala Harris has been sitting up here running around with celebrities and politicians and figuring that was going to get her where she wanted to go. And she totally lost track of the soil and the sororities couldn't save her. And when we questioned her credentials, she didn't prove us wrong. She proved us right. She did not dig deeper into the soil she ran from it which was exactly what we knew you were gonna do and then she sends out bozo rollo martin and the rest of them try to sit up here and give her credentials and validation she doesn't have if kamala harris was real then when we pushed up on her she would have known what to say and she would know that running is the worst thing you could do. When her black credentials got questioned, she should have known what the hell to do. But the other problem is you're supposed to already have a track record in place that shows what you know. But she couldn't do it. When we questioned her credentials, she called her white press secretary, her white, uh, her white um, communications director. She called her. which is what we knew you were gonna do. And you've been looking awkward and corny ever since. That's how we know you ain't about that life. Well, Jason, can you show us somebody who does know what to do about that? Take a look at the Beyonce. Take a look at the Jasmine guy. Y'all want to see a difference in interviews? You go take a look at the interview that Kamala Harris did on The Breakfast Club. Then you go take a look at this that interview that Jasmine Guy did with Kadeem Harvison when they showed up on The Breakfast Club with a different world reunion. You go listen to those two interviews. That's a tale of two, two women. That's a tale of two biracial chicks. But you listen to the way that Jasmine Guy was talking. And then you listen to the way that uh, Kamala Harris was talking. You can't compare the two. One of them knows what to do. One of them knows what to say. One of them knows they're from the soil. And the other one is sitting up here. Can somebody call my white communications director to bail me out? You can't fake this. You cannot fake this. 
And it ain't about being from no housing projects either. You can't fake this. Pro-black folk, folk connected to the soil come from all stratas of life. They come from all socioeconomic stratas. Your blackness was not given to you by the... And if you're already subscribed, check and make sure that YouTube hasn't unsubscribed you. And of course, be sure to give the video a like as well as share it on your social media. The white supremacists hate that. And now, the Sunday address. Now, you knew this one was coming. A lot of black people are all too aware of the fact that a lot of these phony Hollywood white liberals are closet racists. They're actors, so they practice how to act like they're showing empathy for black folks. They learn how to act like they're concerned. It's all a performance, but eventually they have to let the mask slip. And when they do, they say what they really think. In recent years, we've seen this from Bill Maher, Sarah Silverman, Lena Dunham, Judd Apatow, Michael Richards, and a number of others. And when confronted on their anti-black racism, they all claim that they're not really racist because they're Jewish. And Jewish is a minority group, a religious minority. Well, we can now add Juliana Margulies to this list. Everyone knows that Juliana Margulies went full racist recently. She went on an anti-black tirade on a podcast. Apparently, she thinks black people aren't supporting Israel sufficiently enough to suit her taste. Now, before we get to that, and trust me, we will get to that briefly, I want to go ahead and give you a rundown of some of the other stuff that she said, because she was really on one. First, she started talking about how there were Jewish protesters or Jewish activists who were getting off of a plane, and apparently their buses didn't show up to pick them up. If anything like this had happened in the black community, for example, 900 protesters left stranded on the tarmac in DC on their way to the rally because all the bus drivers walked out. If that had happened to any other marginalized community, this country would be in an uproar. First Michael Rappaport, now Juliana Margulies, with the same stale false talking point. Things like this happen to black people all the time. The difference being is about things far more serious than bus drivers not coming to pick them up. And it doesn't make the news either. Black people die at a disproportionate rate. One study concluded that it was as much as 1.6 million more deaths than white people over a 20-year period. I can tell you right now, that's a conservative estimate. I routinely have told you about the black infant mortality rate and the black maternal mortality rate, both of which are far higher than for any other group, and both of which are totally ignored. Black people are the vast majority of hate crimes victims in America, but Congress completely and thoroughly ignored us all throughout the BLM protests, and even at the height of the 2020 uprisings. Instead, they passed an Asian hate crime law, even though hate crimes against Asians have been trending down even during the year that they passed it. This tired talking point, this lie about if it had happened to black people, then folks would be in an uproar. It's a lie. But I've seen all these other non-black groups use it across the board. You cannot in one breath say that black people are marginalized, and then in the very next breath say, well, if this had happened to black people, there would be an uproar. Black people in America are somehow given preferential treatment. That's the well that Rappaport and Margulies are drawing from when they say, if it had happened to black people, there would be an outcry, etc. We protest. We demonstrate, we chant, we sing, we walk around in circles, we beg and plead, we cry tears, and nothing changes, nothing happens. Meanwhile, everybody else in America have policies and benefits made for them, given to them, and they don't have to do any of the stuff that we do to get ignored. But I got a suggestion for both Juliana Margulies and Michael Rappaport. If they really think that black people are treated better than them, and that when black people say something, the world moves, I got a real easy solution. 
just claim to be black. That's it. Margulies and Rappaport should hold a press conference, and they should say that they have a couple of black ancestors and that they've merely been passing for white all these decades. Problem solved. Except we all know they're never going to do that because they know the truth, that they're lying. Their careers would be over, not that Rappaport actually had one, and the treatment they would receive would be far worse than any minor grievances that they claim to have today. And they know it. Anytime somebody from the dominant society tries to claim that black people are treated better than them, just tell them, go ahead and identify as black then, and watch the doors fly open. See, they have the luxury of pretending to be victims while ignoring the real ones. The game that Margulies and Rappaport play is to identify as white when it's time to get work and fame and money, but when their religion provides the occasional hiccup, suddenly they're a minority. You can't have it both ways. Except that's precisely what white privilege is about. As Neely Fuller explained, it takes both sides of every issue. Oh, but Juliana Margulies was just getting started with her litany of bad takes. I'm the first person to march in Black Lives Matter. When that happened to um, George Floyd, I put a black screen on my Instagram. Like I ran to, to support my black brothers and sisters. When LGBTQ um, people are being attacked, I run. I made a commercial for same-sex marriages with my husband in, in 2012. Like, I am the first person go to jump up when something is wrong, as I think most Jews are because we have been persecuted from the beginning of time. It's those kids who are spewing this anti-Semitic hate that have no idea if they step foot in an Islamic country. These people who want us to call them they, them, or what whatever they want us to call them, which I have respectfully really made, made a point of doing, like be whoever you want to be. It's those people that will be the first people beheaded and their heads played with a soccer ball, like a soccer ball on the field. You know, I just love her claim that she had a black square on her social media. I'm sure that did a lot of good and that she supports this or that cause. She's the first person to step forward Probably not the first person ahead of black people, I would imagine. I think black folks probably stepped forward before her. Though the topper had to be when she claimed black brothers and sisters. Yeah, this is her doing her rhetorical equivalent of I have black friends. It's the old liberal racist two-step. She's trying to bestow innocence on herself before she goes and says some vile stuff. And she said some vile stuff indeed. And by the way, if she didn't do anything until George Floyd was murdered, all that means is she was bored during the 2020 lockdowns. So since she didn't have any work on a TV show or something, she decided to play act of being a concerned citizen on social media. I don't care much for Dave Chappelle at all, but even he said that during the 2020 uprisings, people kept asking him to say something. And he refused because, as he said, the streets were talking. When these celebrities do their little virtue signaling, they do it mostly as a form of PR. Same reason you see some of them going to third world countries to stand in front of a Red Cross banner and claim that they handed out parcels of food to refugees, but always make sure that the cameras are there. They never want to do without cameras. At no point from the murder of Trayvon Martin to the murder of George Floyd, did you see black people saying, oh my God, where is Hollywood at to speak on this? Why isn't Tom Cruise doing a George Floyd hashtag? Why isn't Angelina Jolie tweeting about this? It wasn't a time for virtue signaling. It was a time for actions. So for her to try to act like she was supporting something because she did some emoji on the internet, unless you're giving or doing something tangible, you're not supporting anything. Oh, by the way, on a side note, 
You notice how she started off saying the pronouns and and them, and you notice she corrected herself real quick on that one? Oh yeah, she walked that back instantly. See, a lot of the people who Juliana Margulies deals with on a daily basis in Hollywood are in the LGBT community, transgender, all that stuff. So she knew she had to clean that one up quickly, instantly. She just had it on reflex. And she said, whoops, I pulled that walk this back. But for any LGBT people who are listening to this, if you thought that Juliana Margulies liked you, sorry. But for her, that was just more of her moral performance, just more acting on her part. This Andy Ostroy character then claims that young people are embracing Hamas. They're even embracing Osama bin Laden. There's got to be a reason why people are embracing, young people are embracing Hamas. Why young people are embracing Osama bin Laden. I mean, for fuck's sake. I mean, it's unfathomable. That's how it's crazy. And where are the professors? Right. Have you seen anything like that? Because I sure haven't. Nobody's embracing anything. Nobody's converting to Islam. Nobody's running around with Hamas t-shirts or putting an I love Osama bin Laden bumper sticker on their car either. Where the hell is he getting all of this paranoid nonsense from? Clearly someone told them that Benjamin Netanyahu is losing the media war. People aren't listening to the liars at CNN and MSNBC anymore. They've lost all their credibility, especially young people who are getting their news from sources outside the U.S., Sources that are not in the white media bubble and they're hearing and seeing all kinds of shocking stuff about the Israeli government's actions that they didn't know. And they're reacting to what they're seeing and hearing. The problem is that in the past, all of these young people, they didn't actually know what was going on. Social media wasn't what it is today. And they weren't saying anything. And that was fine with Juliana Margulies, but now a lot of these young folks have gone from apathy to activism. And that's what seems to have Margulies and Austria alarmed. The usual media gatekeepers apparently are not able to keep enough of those young people corralled, at least not enough to keep them from speaking out and being a problem. But that's not to say that Juliana Margulies is perfectly pleased with the white media either. She had some choice words for her white media colleagues in Hollywood, too. Well, you were very um, outspoken then about the industry that you're in, that you didn't think people were speaking out enough and, and clearly. Is that, do you, no, did but, that, you still don't, right? I'm sorry, but... Um, I am stunned at my industry because if it was any other, can you imagine the WGA not putting out a statement after George Floyd? And yet when it was the Jews, the Jews, by the way, all of our great material on television is pretty much from the Jews. Like, the fact that they stayed silent for so long until they were pressured into, into making a statement. By the way, Me Too movement, the Me Too movement, women, they cut a fetus out of a mother's, a pregnant woman's stomach and filmed it. And the Me Too movement isn't condemning Hamas. What, 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 I, I, there are no words. So here's how I feel. My industry, and I love what I do, of course all the Jews are going to speak up. It's the non-Jews that need to speak up. Did she actually ask about the Writers Guild of America? That's what the WGA is. They're the television and movie writers. I don't know if they made any sort of statement about the murder of George Floyd, and I don't particularly care. I chronicle for you how racist these movies and TV shows are. As far as I'm concerned, I don't want any of these Hollywood writers to support us. What I want is for them to give an apology for all the racist movies and TV shows they've written. They want to write something, they can start with writing us an apology. But to Juliana Margulies, she's so desperate to find something to support her narrative that being Jewish means being ignored, that she's asking about the Writers Guild of America? Really? 
that's how far she has to reach? And what exactly is a statement from the WGA supposed to accomplish? Let's say that they put out a statement today condemning Hamas, etc. Hell, the Writers Guild were on strike just a few weeks ago. Let's say that they go ahead and get the picket lines gemmed up again and go do a demonstration in front of the UN. Then what's supposed to happen? What happens after the WGA makes a statement? Is Hamas going to say, okay, we give up. The writers of Rick and Morty don't like us. Or are they going to say, well, we're going to keep fighting, but somebody wrote an episode of Law and Order where Hamas is the villain, so we give up. Is that what Juliana Margulies thinks is going to happen? Again, she seems to think that a press release somehow is support, or that it's substantial that it's not. This is what happens when you live in the cocoon of the white media. When you live on sound stages and movie sets and everything is scripts and makeup and special effects, and it's all about PR and all about influence through the media. See, when your entire livelihood revolves around who can get a good write-up in the Hollywood Reporter or Vanity Fair, or who can get mentioned with a good review in the New York Times, when that's what life and death is for you on a soundstage, you tend to lose complete perspective on the real world. See, when everything is scripts and makeup and special effects, it's all artificial, but since they spend so much time there, to them, that's what's real. The WGA. I mean, the words coming out of her mouth sound like a bad SNL skit. She's sitting here, this washed-up, over-the-hill, has-been actress. Why didn't the WGA say something? It would be funny, except for the fact that she spends most of her time taking pot shots at black people. When has anyone ever spoken out in support of the Jews? When has, I mean, the United States in World War II sent boatloads of Jews back to Europe? Yes. I mean, when has anyone ever spoken up for the Jews? Well, I am very glad that you asked, Mr. Ostroy, because I can answer that question for you. Black Americans have spoken up for the Jews. Walter White, when he was head of the NAACP, he went to the UN in 1948 when the UN was debating whether or not to officially recognize Israel as a state. There were a number of African nations who objected to that. They said that they would refuse to recognize Israel. And it was Walter White who personally negotiated with those African countries to get them to approve it. And Israel was officially recognized because of a black American. But then shortly thereafter, a number of Arab countries waged a war on Israel. And another black American, Ralph Bunch, went to those Arab countries at a time when the Arabs had the upper hand. They were going to defeat the Israelis. But it was a black American who went to them and personally negotiated an end to that war. Ralph Bunch was awarded the Nobel Prize for that. But you don't hear much from that. I don't think there's any street or even so much as a plaque in that man's honor in Israel. And you don't hear Jewish Americans like Juliana Margulies or Andy Ostroy or Jonathan Greenblatt with the ADL talking about that. They never mention these men. So when they ask who speaks for the Jews, black Americans have done that numerous times. It's ridiculous to claim that black Americans don't support Israel. We are the reason Israel exists. We made sure that Jews had a state of their own, a place where they can make their own rules. Nobody can single them out for being Jewish. A secure place where they're in charge. Something we don't even have. Black Americans gave them their own country. What more do they want us to do? We don't live in Israel, and we have no say over their government. And as the poorest and most politically marginalized people in the world, we can't do anything about what's going on over there. The U.S. government has already approved a massive shipment of money and weapons to Israel. That money can be added to the $3.5 billion the U.S. gives Israel every year. So again, what does Juliana Margulies want black Americans to do exactly that isn't already being done? Now, what if Margulies is saying is that she thinks black Americans need to be in the streets, chanting, marching, holding up signs, and all the rest of that, that's fine. 
In that case, then I hope that you can also agree that $3.5 billion per year can stop being given to Israel and can be spent on American infrastructure instead. God knows we need it. And as for that massive amount of shipment of arms and weapons that the Congress signed off on, well, they can go ahead and bring that back to the U.S. too, because as Juliana Margulies is apparently meaning to say, all Israel really needs is black people to give moral support. Apparently, that's all Israel really needs, right? All right, now that we've had some of the setup, Let's go ahead and get into some of the most inflammatory stuff that she said regarding black people. You know, there was a there was a, a film being shown by the this black lesbian club um, on Columbia campus, and they put signs up that said "No Jews allowed." And as someone who plays uh, a lesbian journalist on the morning show, I'm I'm more offended buy it as a lesbian than I am as a Jew, to be honest with you, because I want to say to them, you f***ing idiots. You don't exist. Like, you're even lower than the Jews. A, you're black, and B, you're gay. And you're turning your back against the people who support you? You, uh, get all that? You're even lower than the Jews. That's what she says. You're lower than the Jews. She's sitting there saying, I consider you to be beneath me. And on a side note, you notice how she was talking about how she's offended as a lesbian? This woman is not a lesbian. She's married to a white man. So what the world is she doing talking about being a lesbian? See, this is somebody who has spent her entire life in front of cameras, reading from schools, in the phony, fake bubble of Hollywood. She can't tell the difference between reality and fantasy. She can't tell the difference between what's real and what's artificial. So to her, it's all real. As long as it's something happening to her, as long as she's there, that's what makes it real. And notice that she started cursing. This is the point where she started cursing at. When she gets specific about what she claims of black people questioning what's going on in Israel, that's when she starts cursing. And she aimed her insults and her vitriol directly at these black students. She was unhappy about the LGBT community and the writers because she was unhappy about them. But let some black people say something she doesn't like, and she goes full rolling Martin, doesn't she? See, whether it's these left-wing racists or their bootlegs, they get vulgar and profane when they're talking about black people. When they're checking black people, putting black people in their place, the profanity and the insults, they save those for us. Now, to explain what she's talking about, she's complaining about black lesbians at Columbia University who she said put up a sign that said, no Jews allowed. That's what she just said. You just saw it. Now, when I heard that, that didn't even sound right. So being the black media, as we showed last time, when Nicole Wallace, one of the most stunningly ignorant people on cable TV, falsely claimed that the FBI said anti-Semitic hate crimes were 60% of all hate crimes in the U.S., I figured what Margulies was doing was more of the same, and that proved to be the case. This lesbian group she was talking about calls itself Lion Leds, which has been described as a club for queer women and non-binary people run by students of color. Keep that phrase in mind. That's the first thing that lets you know that maybe the same as is black as she was saying, the person most responsible for the controversy that Margulies is so wound up about is a young woman named Lizzie George Griffin. She's a senior at Columbia University. She's been doing the most to conflate the Israel-Palestinian conflict with the treatment of black people in America. Now, before going farther, I'm sure some of you are going to have something to say about a young, light-skinned lesbian at an Ivy League campus who chooses to differentiate herself based on sexual orientation. And we are going to get into that. But first, let's discuss this film screening that Lion Les was holding that Juliana Margulies was referencing. The film that Lion Les was showing was called Shakedown, which is described as a chronicles of explicit performances in an underground lesbian club in Los Angeles. 
So this is the great student event that Ms. Margulies is so angry about. She apparently is quite interested in what lesbians are getting up to in underground clubs, I suppose. Look, I'm a heterosexual black man, and I don't want to see what amounts to a porno film, okay? Now, from what I've found online from Columbia's own website, there were no signs being put up, as Juliana Margulies put it. There was, however, an email from an Instagram account that Miss Griffin sent out. So that's the first thing we need to get straight here. There were no signs around campus being put up saying no Jews allowed. That canard that black people are putting up signs saying no Jews allowed is an absurd exaggeration meant to make people think of the Nazis, and Margulies knows this. Secondly, the email slash Instagram flyers did not say Jews aren't invited. Margulies claimed that's what it said, but she's wrong. It said Zionists are not invited, and that's not a small detail either. This is important to note because something Benjamin Netanyahu and those ideologically aligned with him like to do is to conflate Israel and Jewish as being the same thing, but they're not. There's a lot of Jewish people in the U.S., such as Jewish Voices for Palestine, who are protesting the Israeli government right now. You also have Jews in Israel, like the Orthodox Jews, who have been hanging Palestinian flags outside their stores and shop fronts, showing their solidarity with the Palestinians. And what was the response of the Israeli authorities to this? Well, remember, Israel is the only democracy in the region. So surely they just said, okay, guys, we disagree, but in Israel, we're a democracy. We believe in freedom of speech as long as you're being nonviolent. So as long as you guys aren't breaking windows or setting cars on fire, your little flags aren't a problem. That's what the Israeli authorities said, right? Wrong. This is what's going on in Israel right now, in the alleged only democracy in the region. The police openly and violently and deliberately attack people in the streets if they dare to disagree with the government. Because as we all know, nothing's more democratic than the police beating people into submission. How is this different than Iran or any other Arab state who the Israeli government or the white media excoriates for robbing their own citizens of their rights? The Israeli government is attacking, abusing, and oppressing its own Jewish citizens. Ms. Margulies doesn't mind, because these Orthodox Jews in Israel, they disagree with her position. So it's okay to brutalize them, but to criticize the Israeli government, now that we can't have. For people like Netanyahu and his corrupt pals, it is crucial that they define Israeli and Jewish as one and the same. And it's also equally crucial that they do away with any Jewish voices who disagree. Ignore them if you can, but crush them if they're too loud or too visible to be ignored. There have been a number of white media outlets, including Columbia's campus paper, that have talked to Ms. George Griffin, and she has said that Jewish and Zionists are not the same thing, and that she wasn't saying that all Jews are barred from this little gathering, which I can't imagine anybody who is champing at the bit to go. Now, as for Mrs. Griffin's own personal leanings, I've read some of her online postings. You'll notice that she uses words like brown people to describe the groups who have been oppressed. First of all, nobody else speaks up for us. So no black person should be putting on the cape. A lot of these groups who she calls brown people, they discriminate against black people in their own lands. Look at how black Latinos are treated, how black people are treated in India. The same way that she calls out the white media and others who try to use Zionist as an umbrella term to encompass anyone who's Jewish, whether they agree with Zionism or not, 
is the same way the she puts forward this flat definition of brown people that includes black folks and anyone not classified as white, while leaving out that a lot of them identify as white on employment applications, driver's licenses, and the census forms. So while she comes off as a very angry, faux radical, which you see on every single college campus without exception, she's also very young, very bellicose, and absolutely harmless. Well, at least as far as the issue of Israel is concerned. Nothing she says is going to change anything. There's nobody who follows her. Nobody's going to bust a grape because Israel supporters weren't welcome to a porno film that she was hosting on campus. Also, this is not the first time that Lizzie Griffin has been in the news. Just two months ago, she went viral in a video where she confronted the president of the Dominican Republic over its country's treatment of Haitians. But she also then went off in the weeds and began protesting homophobia and transphobia. And she said that discouraging homosexuality was only done so slave masters could get the enslaved to have more children for their plantations. So in other words, she used that as a platform for her to do one of her speeches so she could fit in all this other stuff she wanted to say. About the only important thing was when the Dominican president denied that racism exists in his country and he began filibustering, she turned from the microphone and walked away. By the way, she captioned her Instagram post with the words, I stand with hate. A lot of you are wondering if she is perhaps an immigrant herself, since a disproportionate number of non-white college students are. So far, her name strongly suggests to me that she perhaps is, but I haven't had enough time to scour her social media background to verify it. So anyway, this is who and what Miss Griffin is, a professional activist who looks at any trending news story or any opportunity to stand in front of a microphone as her chance to push her own message. Her social media presence seems to represent her pretty accurately. Capricious, immature, wanting to challenge things that matter, but not having the knowledge or experience to do it with. She's offensive to some, but she's not dangerous to anyone. Least of all, dangerous to the Jewish community or to Israel. But now we get to the point that Juliana Margulies really wanted to make. She drops all pretense that she's not talking down to and insulting the black community. This is the part where she decides to go all in and show exactly where she thinks of black people and what she has no doubt thought of black people for many, many years now. Did you see um, U.S. and the Holocaust, the Ken Burns documentary? Everyone should watch it. It should be mandatory watching. Mm -hmm. Especially for the black community, if I may. Because Hitler got his entire playbook from the Jim Crow South. The Nazis were watching how the Jim Crow South were treating slaves and said, oh, great call. Let's do that playbook. That's what we'll do to the Jews, which is also why in the civil rights movement, the Jews were the ones that walked side by side with, with the blacks to fight for their rights because they know. And now the black community isn't embracing us and saying we stand with you the way you stood with us jews died for their cause where's the history lesson in that who's, who's teaching these kids because the fact that the entire black community isn't standing with us to me says either they're they just are, they don't know or they've been brainwashed they hate jews man you could just tell she wanted to say the n-word so bad she just wanted to say it so bad. It was on the tip of her tongue. She just wanted to say it. Notice how condescending she is, how lecturing she is. Ken Burns' documentary should be mandatory viewing, especially for the black community, if I may. I mean, her words just dripping with condescension. Black people don't need to be educated about the connections between the Jim Crow South and the Nazis. 
We lived it. Black people already know that Hitler got his playbook from the Jim Crow South. And he got it from people like Judah Benjamin, who was the vice president of the Confederacy and one of the largest slave owners in the U.S. He got the playbook from Lehman Brothers, who were cotton brokers in Alabama during slavery. They owned slaves, and they used the seed money from their dry goods store to launch their brokerage firm. There were people in the Deep South who were teaching the Germans how to monetize racism, how to monetize discrimination so it would perpetuate itself. Black people already know this, who apparently didn't know it were white people, including people like Juliana Margulies and others, who were not calling it out and weren't stopping it. But to have this rich, privileged, pampered, bigot, white splaining and talking down to black people about what we lived through, we've been talking about it for 80 years at least. Where's she been at? Well, I'm not taking any lectures or moral lessons from this reprobate. On top of that, she also talked about Jewish Americans supporting black people. Now, when this happens, they normally reference Michael Schwerner and Andrew Goodman. They were two of the now famous three civil rights workers. Goodman, Schwerner, and Cheney, who were murdered in Mississippi by sheriff's deputies in the 60s. First of all, Goodman and Schwerner were in Mississippi as an act of personal conscience. They didn't and never said that they were representing people of the Jewish faith. That's what their sacrifice has been revised into since their murder. Also, notice that whenever someone gives the names of the three murder victims, they always mention the black one, James Cheney, dead last. Always. Normally, when mentioning multiple murder victims, the practice is to mention them by alphabetical order or by prominence. But in this case, you had three anonymous individuals who were killed. In which case, even if they went with alphabetical order, which is how that normally is done, Cheney would be mentioned first. But instead, he's mentioned dead last. Always. This is the practice of revising history so as to minimize, if not eliminate, the actions, accomplishments, and contributions of black people. To make black people into mere bystanders in our own story. But if Margulies really wanted to know where the black people are at, why black people aren't in the streets taking up for Israel, it's because we're still busy fighting against the racist cops who are killing us in the streets. We're still trying to survive in these racist hospitals. We're still dealing with mass incarceration. We're still bearing the brunt of the cost of living crisis and homelessness, which for black people, cost of living and homelessness, all these things are a never-ending series of crises for us. Most non-black Americans only just noticed when they were the ones who lost their home, but black people have known this and lived with it all along. It's like Barack Obama asking where the black folks were at in 2016. So to answer Juliana Margulies' question, that's where your black support went. Margulies and the rest of these phony liberals sat on their hand and wanted to go ahead and say the N-word. You could tell. And this Andy character, after he did all of this fear-mongering and all this race-baiting, he admits that he's not scared. He's indignant because he feels that people aren't doing what he wants them to. It's such a complicated situation. It is a lonely place to be, and it's, it's, I'm not, I was going to say it's a scary place to be, but I, I find myself not really being scared. I'm, I'm more, more just living. So after all that, after all of that complaining and race baiting and dumping on the black community, he comes out and says what we already knew. He's not scared, and he's right not to be. It just goes to show how safe Jews are in the United States and worldwide that Margulies and Austria have to reach to these absurd lengths justifying something to be angry at black people about. Not because they're scared, but because they're angry. A woman Juliana Margulies never heard of, part of a campus group at Columbia that she's never heard of, screening films that she knows nothing about and doesn't even want to see. It's like being barred from attending the monthly meetings of the Brotherhood of Oddfellows. This is an over-the-hill actress trying to make herself seem important by stoking fears over a non-troversy. 
She's getting all worked up over a nothing burger and she wants other people to be worked up about it too. Barring people from seeing a campus porno film is not the same as Crystal Knocked. It's not the same as the liquidation of the Warsaw Ghetto. But that's how it's being framed by a woman who I think knows better than that. Phony grievances and fake outrage is what this is. You want to see Jews who are being attacked openly? Just look at what Netanyahu's government is doing to its own citizens. There's no black people anywhere in the world who are doing this. But who do we see Margulies talking about? This is psychopathic racism. This constant fixation on black people in cases and circumstances where we shouldn't even be mentioned. And as far as standing with the Jews, I would recommend the Jewish community stand with us because the safest place in America for the Jews is in a black city. When the neo-Nazis stage their rallies, they don't go to black cities, they go to majority white areas. The Unite the Right rally was in Charlottesville, Virginia, which has a 66% black population. After that riot, Richard Spencer and his murderous pals planned a second Unite the Right rally, this time in DC. Again, they chose a city that's not majority black. DC hasn't been a majority black city in over a decade. Today, the city's black population is only 44%. On top of that, DC has a number of different police agencies there, so the white supremacists know that they can depend on the cops to bail them out if some counter-protesters get too close. You don't see these racists doing any of their rallies in Detroit, or Memphis, or Birmingham, or New Orleans. They tried to do one in Philly, but they literally got ran out of town. And they know this, so they stick to places that are not majority black. Places like the ones Juliana Margulies lives in. There's not one black mayor in America who has ever targeted Jewish people. Not one black mayor has ever said that Jewish residents need to be racially profiled, or arrested, or singled out, or that Jews are responsible for all the crimes, or that Jews have done anything that necessitates targeting them, or to even cast aspersions on them. There have, however, been a number of mayors who happen to be of the Jewish faith who have racially denigrated black people like Michael Bloomberg. And when he was confronted on his racist stop and frisk policies, how it did nothing to reduce crime and all they ever did was just harass black people, Bloomberg doubled down on it. He said that he felt that even more black people needed to get arrested and needed to be harassed. He specifically singled black people out. He only pretended to walk back some of it when he wanted to make his doomed to fail presidential run. For that, he was a hardcore anti-black racist and still is today. I don't recall where Juliana Margulies was at when Bloomberg was mayor. I also don't recall Jonathan Greenblatt and the ADL taking Bloomberg to task either. You also had that woman, Judith Barnai Shore, the Consul General of Israel. She was part of the diplomatic envoy of Israel. And behind closed doors, she said that young black people were Israel's biggest problem. The major problem with Israel is that the young generation Clear. Reportedly, this video was recorded in 2016. Now, you remember the Unite the Right rally was the very next year in 2017. You had neo-Nazis marching with torches and saying Jews will not replace us. But the year prior to that, you had one of Israel's most important ambassadors saying that young black people and the BLM movement were Israel's biggest problem. Varnai Shore was Israel's ambassador to the southeastern U.S., the Unite the Right rally was not far from where she had been in Atlanta, and yet she wasn't so vocal about it. I don't recall her saying much of anything at all. So black people saying that anti-black violence has to stop, and Israel's ambassador says that's Israel's biggest problem, but neo-Nazis march through the streets yelling Jews will not replace us, and they kill a woman just to prove their point. And crickets. Not just from Varnai Shower, but from the Israeli government as well, and it tells me a lot about what their true priorities are when they're more interested in what college kids are saying than in what these white supremacists are doing.
And the racists like David Horowitz, Ed Blum, Stephen Miller, B.S. Er, I mean, Ben Shapiro, spouting every kind of anti-blank racism imaginable, fueling a white supremacist hate machine against us. Where has Juliana Margulies been to call them out? Now, do you see black people saying all of these vile things about the Jewish community? No, you don't. So what the hell is she talking about? Nothing, apparently. Now, she's recently done the usual, predictable, insincere apologies about all this racist stuff that she said. I didn't want to cause more division. No, what she's scared of is that she might actually lose her position on her show, which I doubt a lot of these white media racists are just as bigoted as she is. But the fact that she's trying some pathetic CYA maneuver, what it shows is this woman just wanted to go ahead and vent and gripe about black people. And now that she's done that, she feels her job is finished. And you know what? I'm pretty much finished with her too. Juliana Margulies is no victim. And black people haven't been brainwashed. Juliana Margulies has though. And it was a small load of wash. But since she loves the sound of her own voice so much, I'll let her have the last word. People are only seeing what they want to see. Yes, Juliana. That is exactly what you did. Good evening and be one. I'd like to take a moment to mention some of our contributors. Kratom Consulting, Eric Bailey, David Green, Kevin Riley, and Andrew Lewis. Salute to them and thank you to everyone for listening, liking, and sharing this message. Black empowerment only exists because of you.